Hey all, welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast. I'm your host, pharmacist Eric Christensen. Thank you so much for listening today. Go check out reallifepharmacology.com. Grab your free 31-page PDF on the top 200 drugs. It's a great study guide, great refresher. Uh, no-brainer, definitely, to have to your uh, uh, medication-related uh, library. So uh, simply an email. We'll get you access to that. Uh, we'll also get you updates when we've got new podcast episodes available and other content as well. So go do that at reallifepharmacology.com. All right, let's get into the drug of the day today, and that is Insulin Lispro. Brand name of this medication is Humalog. And I will say that with a caveat, uh, that there is a uh, new formulation of Lispro out called Lyumgev as well. I'm not going to cover that uh, specifically here on this podcast episode. It is on my uh, to-do list to tackle that one in the coming weeks. Um, but I definitely wanted to, to stick mostly to Humalog here because there's definitely um, quite a bit of information surrounding insulin in uh, the use of, of rapid-acting insulin in general. So uh, first and foremost, mechanistically, uh, we obviously want to know and think uh, why and how insulin works. So insulin plays a huge role uh, in regulatory processes pertaining to uh, energy and metabolism of carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Okay. And so a few of the things that it does, and I'm going to primarily focus on the this, this stuff that matters most uh, to us regarding management of diabetes and blood sugar. Um, so first and foremost, it stimulates uh, glycogen synthesis. And if you remember from uh, maybe biology, uh, glycogen is essentially a storage form of glucose. So insulin stimulates that storage of glucose. Uh, another thing it can do is it can increase uh, ion permeability across cell membranes. So particularly in the bloodstream, it'll pull out uh, various electrolytes. So potassium is probably the one we, we think about the most there. And I'll get into that a little bit in uh, adverse uh, effects as well. And then lastly, with uh, that storage, one of the many things that uh, insulin does, uh, it's going to move blood sugar out of the bloodstream and move it uh, into cells for storage. So, and I mean, that's really where the weight gain aspect of insulin um, is mostly generated from. So, and that's really where the clinical benefit is from as well. That's what we're trying to do with insulin. We are trying to get glucose out of the bloodstream uh, and uh, into the cells and obviously lower blood glucose so we don't have uh, all those uh, microvascular complications uh, that are associated with hyperglycemia. All right, with rapid-acting insulin, that is uh, what Humalog is categorized at, uh, the goal is to really reduce uh, those spikes in blood sugar, and that's most often going to be referred to as prandial spikes. So uh, basically when we eat, our blood sugar goes up, and naturally the body uh, secretes insulin uh, to bring those blood sugars down. But if things aren't working right in type 1 diabetes or we have insulin resistance in type 2, 
uh, those spikes can go up and up and up, and they can stay uh, prolonged spikes as well. So that's really what we're trying to do with rapid-acting insulin. So generally, um, you're not going to give a set dose of Humalog and think it's going to cover you all day. It's meant to cover those postprandial spikes in blood sugar. All right, adverse drug reactions. So naturally, we can drop blood sugar too low with the use of insulin. Uh, so hypoglycemia is something that we have to pay attention to. Obviously, have to educate our patients, make sure they have a plan. Uh, if they're a new diabetic, for example, make sure they have a plan for when that blood sugar drops too low, uh, whether it's having the, you know glucose available. Uh, potentially glucagon if they've had some uh, severe hypoglycemia or they're at risk for that, and obviously educating uh, loved ones around them as well on how to use that if necessary too. So pay attention. Um, that's one of the major risks that we're going to be monitoring uh, Humalog insulin for. Uh, local injection site reactions, that, that certainly can't happen. Um, pain, itching, a little bit of redness. Uh, weight gain. So I mentioned insulin basically causes the storage of glucose and weight gain is going to be uh, a potential complication from it. So uh, generally type 1, you know, probably don't stress about that too much because patients are going to need insulin. That's that's what they're going to need to be treated with. Um, type 2 diabetes, uh, we worry a little bit more about that because uh, naturally, type 2 diabetes patients um, already uh, have issues with weight gain and things of that nature. So um, that's why insulin therapy has gone down the list as we've gotten newer and newer agents um, like GLP-1s and SGLT-2s, for example, um, to try to manage type 2 diabetes. And then I did want to mention uh, hypokalemia. So I mentioned the effect on potassium and basically that intracellular shift from out of the blood and into the cells of potassium. So uh, the big issue, the most common issue maybe I should say, is uh, diabetic ketoacidosis. So if patients have significant hyperglycemia uh, and maybe they're hospitalized for it and they've got a potassium level maybe in the 3.5, 4.0 or under range. When we give insulin to treat that hyperglycemia, it's also going to likely drop that potassium. And most commonly where you're going to see that is is IV in the hospital setting. So uh, really, really important to pay attention to that. Um because obviously if you send somebody from a 3.5 potassium down to a 2.8, 2.7, 2.6, or lower even, you're running the risk uh, that you're going to cause a cardiac issue, and that definitely could be life-threatening. So hospitalized patients, if you're given insulin, if you're ratcheting up dosages, you've really got to pay attention uh, to electrolytes and potassium uh, most specifically there. All right, a couple of things I wanted to touch on um, is sliding scale and uh, carb to insulin ratio. So uh, first and foremost, sliding scale is generally discouraged. Um, I occasionally see it in my geriatric practice still. 
Um, we really want to try to avoid it. Um, I've done my, my best to uh, basically review what we're doing with sliding scale insulin. So let's say the case of, a, of assisted living or a nursing home, I see that nursing isn't giving it at all, but we're constantly checking blood sugars to see if we should give it. Like, okay, let's just get rid of it if they're they're not using it or not needing it. Uh, another common situation is where, you know, maybe at lunchtime it seems to spike and we're always giving, you know, two or three units at lunchtime or the majority of time. Well, it's a good situation where, you know, talk to the, the patient, talk to the staff, um, whoever you're working with there, and see if we can just schedule that dose beforehand. Sliding skills, not great because it's reactive. Um, essentially, some of the damage in my mind has already been done. When you check a blood sugar and it's 300, uh, we've already had high blood sugar for a significant amount of time. We haven't proactively tried to blunt that spike in blood sugar. So um, sliding scale definitely discouraged. Um, an example of this is basically you take the blood sugar and if it falls within a given range, you give a unit, two units, three units, whatever the case may be uh, of insulin. That's how sliding scale works. So it's based strictly on the blood sugar. So example, uh, you give one unit if their blood sugar is 150 to 200 milligrams per deciliter. If it's 200 to 250, you give two units. If it's 250 to 300, you give three units, and so on and so forth. That's sliding scale insulin. The other one I wanted to mention, uh, more so probably used in, in type 1 diabetes, obviously, uh, is the carb to insulin ratio. So this is uh, more of a preemptive uh uh, situation where we are planning how much a patient or the patient is planning how much they're going to eat for a given meal. So let's say they're going to do 15 grams of carb and their insulin to carb ratio is 1 to 15. So we would give one unit for the, to cover those 15 grams of carbs. And again, if you do 30 grams, you would do two units uh, to cover uh, those that mealtime carb intake. So uh, it definitely takes some planning. Um, and the one of the big challenges with that, um, particularly if you're giving Humalog, is you've got to you've got to plan that out. So if you give Humalog 10 to 15 minutes before the meal, which is generally recommended, um, if that patient gets full and they don't eat as much as they think, maybe they get distracted, maybe they've got busy, uh, you know, work stuff, family stuff, and they don't eat as much, then we're going to increase that risk for hypoglycemia. So you really got to be intentional. You got to be smart uh, with the, the carb to, to insulin ratios there. Um, it might be a situation uh, where some of the ultra rapid acting insulins might be better in that situation if that happens commonly. Uh, to a patient that you're you're working with, um, because they generally don't have to be given, um, uh, they don't have to be given a little bit before the meal or at the start of the meal, um, because they work a little bit more quickly. So uh, with that, that kind of ties into the uh, pharmacokinetics. So uh, Humalog, it's approximately 30 minutes is the onset of action. So you could imagine after a patient eats we probably don't want to give that insulin 
after they eat. We probably do want a 10, 15, 20 minute buffer um, before, you know, we eat or, you know, right as we begin eating to try to blunt that peak versus giving it after the meal. Now you're kind of chasing it a little bit where you're going to hit that spike and then it's going to um, start having an effect. So um, really, really important with the planning and just recognizing uh, pharmacokinetics and uh, how that, that plays a role uh, in the management of diabetes there. Uh, half-life, approximately 51 to 60 minutes uh, for Humalog is what's uh, reported in the literature. So again, it's an important thing to assess patients as well, you know, an hour after the meal, two hours after the meal, and making sure that insulin isn't hanging around too long um, and causing uh, issues kind of later on, let's say, you know, mid-afternoon, for example, two, three o'clock if they eat at noon. So important definitely uh, to think about that as well. All right, let's take a quick break from our sponsor and we'll wrap up with drug interactions. If you're in the market for any pharmacist board certification study material like BCPS, ambulatory care, geriatrics, BCMTMS, NAPLEX, or others, go check out meded101.com slash store, S-T-O-R-E, We've got a great list of resources there to help you pass your board exams. If you're a nurse, physician, other healthcare professional, definitely go check out meded101.com slash store. Uh, We've got a bunch of links to uh, Amazon books that'll be really helpful, uh, entertaining, educational, um, that can definitely help you in your practice and uh, help beef up your uh, medication safety skills. So, uh, go check out all those links at meded101.com slash store. All right, wrapping up with drug interaction. So, you know, thinking about the administration being a sub-Q uh, administered drug, which Humalog is, we are not going to have any uh, oral binding, those type of interactions if we're not going through the gut. So that is definitely an advantage. Obviously, the downside of that um, is it is an injection. Uh, we also don't have any issues with the SIP enzymes. So that is definitely a great thing with insulin. Uh, my biggest things that I typically look out for uh, with regard to insulin is obviously hypoglycemia, making sure that we aren't adding any other agents uh, on board that may mask that hypoglycemia. So let's say beta blockers um, or add to hypoglycemia let's say, uh, you know, sulfonylureas, for example, there, other diabetes medications, you got to watch patients a little bit closer uh, if we're going to add on medications like that that may increase that risk uh, or blunt the risk of recognizing hypoglycemia symptoms. So that is, in my mind, far and away the most important thing I look out for. Uh, Also, not technically a, a drug interaction, but if you have a patient who's sick, not feeling well, things are changing that way, their insulin requirements may change with that. Uh, So that is definitely something where uh, patients may need to pay a little bit closer attention in monitoring their blood glucose uh, when they're not feeling well and not in their usual uh, routine. And then of course, hyperglycemia. Uh, The biggest one that I see in clinical practice is corticosteroid bursts. Those are going to raise blood sugars, okay? 
And with that, insulin requirements may go up. And when that steroid goes away, let's say we got a 10, 14 day burst. When that steroid goes away, those blood sugars are going to come back down. And if the patient has adjusted their insulin, we need to adjust that back down potentially as well. Otherwise, we're going to run into hypoglycemia once that steroid has stopped. So really, really important to pay attention to that. I've seen issues with that in practice where given the steroid burst, blood sugars go up, we raise the insulin because we're not you know, really paying attention as to why it's going up. Um, we're just adjusting insulin accordingly. Steroid goes away, we've raised the dose of insulin, and now patients are getting hypoglycemic. So um, those are the biggest uh, interactions and things that, that I pay attention to with regards to insulin and uh, making sure we're recognizing that you know changes to drug therapy, changes to um, uh, diet, uh, you know their their level of of health and and the way they're feeling and infection, something like that, that can really change things and and change insulin therapy. So, um, really really important to pay attention to that. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up the podcast for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a huge favor, leave us a rating review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Greatly appreciate that. Comments, suggestions, uh, mededucation101 at gmail.com. Don't forget to support the sponsor, meded101.com slash store. All purchases there, uh, pharmacology flashcards, crossword puzzle books, um, study materials for board exams, lots of different opportunities there where you can help support this podcast and get some great content as well. So I appreciate all of you who have uh, supported the podcast in that manner. All right, I'm going to sign off for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a great rest of your day.